Welcome to Real 45 with Stefan and Greg Hancock. We vibe out and have real talk, so tune in and check this out, yeah. Today is a new day, let's seize it now and get hype. We talking about our careers, our family, and just life, yeah. Share my story with you, inspiration like every day. Real 45, we gon' keep it live, I keep episodes on replay, Hey, Real 45, yeah, Real 45, show them how we do it, man, yeah. Real 45, here we are. Episode number seven. Time is flying, man. I'm pretty stoked. I'm, I'm in a, a really good place today by myself. Stefan couldn't be here because he's busy doing normal guy stuff, probably making real money where I'm sitting here just talking and wasting our money. But that's okay. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm yeah. a guy. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really excited because I'm sitting here with another great, I can call him a friend, and uh, um, hopefully he'll call me a friend, but we'll find out soon enough. And <laughs> see you after. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you after. But a guy who I've idolized for many years, he's a big name in the speedway world, a former world champion himself, and one of the one of the reasons that main reasons that first brought me to Sweden too. I can honestly say that. Well, maybe I had a recommendation uh, by this man, but uh, here we are. I'm sitting with uh, Per Jonsson, Swedish stud. Hello, it's nice to be here. It's nice Thanks. to see you. Hey, man. I'm glad to have you here. This is, like, massive for me. And well, it's like you say, an idol. I mean, like we've been talking before about all the races we've done together. And I remember when we were down in Lonigo, the world final, the world pairs there, and you came out as a reserve, and you, you beat all the rest of us there. You were a reserve, and you're coming in there, and then you beat me in my race. I, I had a terrific meeting that night, and um, I got beaten by Amando and you. <laughs> and um i mean it was a big night and uh i mean you you made that gold that night that was a, yeah like i said that was a big night for me i mean my first world championship attempt i went there as a reserve i was already honored to be, have the opportunity to be there as a reserve and when ronnie corey uh opted to step aside and they wanted me to to take over because he just didn't feel like it was working for him that night and I remember going, oh, really? <laughs> and uh, Sam Armalenko, being the stud that he was, especially during that period, was in his prime. And we could choose the gate positions. So you could have, if we had gates two and four, you could decide who was going inside and who was going outside. And Sam gave me the inside gates all the time, which, especially gate one in La Nigo, even to the day, I yeah. think is still the, the most dominant one. <laughs> and he kept giving me gate one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's just proof what guy he is, Sam. I mean, he, when when he, a junior comes in like that, or not junior, but I mean, the first time and everything, and give you the opportunity. I remember when I was 16, I was starting to ride 500, and I was teamed up with Anders Mishanek, and um, I was on the outside all the time, and I, I mean, it was hard to get away from the start, and I asked Anders if he could let me stand on the inside sometimes, and he said, he looked at me, <laughs> and just said, hey, when you get as good as me, then you can choose to get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's just typical Anders. <laughs> See, that's the, that's the real life yeah, of a you Viking. Have learn, you have to learn the hard way. <laughs> the difference of you Vikings versus us American guys are just like, yeah, bro, no problem, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but we, go, we go pretty far back. Yeah, I remember when you came to England, though. I was uh, not, you came in 89 or 88? 89. 
but then you hurt yourself, you broke your arm or something, or you were... That was in nine, 1990, the following year, because I came it? like halfway through the year in 89. Uh, right, yeah. And I, you got a good memory. Yeah, 1990, I was in my second season, and things were going much yeah. better than they did the first year. Yeah. And then I crashed in the U.S. in, the, in our qualifying round at yeah, Long Beach right, yeah. and broke my arm. And I missed like three months of, two and a half, three months of racing. Yeah. But I, I can't remember, was it, did you and Billy came at the same time or did... I came a year before Billy. You came a year before him, yeah, that's right. Yeah. They, uh, they, Cradley Heath had the choice, they were choosing between me and Billy because we did like a test run in 1988. Okay. We came over at the end of the season and stayed with Eric Gunderson and they did like a kind of a test there and to see, they were checking to see which one of us they wanted to take the following year. Okay. And I remember they gave, the when it came down the, to choose in May of the following year, they called Billy first, right. and Billy turned it down. So uh, oh, I, was, yeah. I was second best. Thanks, Colin Pratt. <laughs> That's Colin for you. <laughs> but I just remember when they called me, I was like, I'm going. I'm yeah. out of here. I don't care. This is what I want to do, even if I struggle. Yeah. And Bobby Schwartz would kept telling me, don't worry, man. California's not going anywhere. It's always going to be here, so you can always come home. <laughs> and little did I know he was telling me that to like give me you know the, yeah, the confidence boost, yeah. to like you know what don't worry about it home's always going to be here go mm. for it oh that's the cool stuff about it it's uh when you have guys around you like that it's it's important I mean I for me I mean it's Jan Anderson who gave me the chance to come to England though I mean first year of 500 I went to the 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 big Swedish final not the junior but the Swedish final and uh I remember I beat Jan in that race and I, I finished split fourth place in the big final. And uh, after the meeting, Jan came up to me and says, when you were 18, you know, when you had to be 18 to get over to do racing in England or international then. Mm-hmm. So when you read it, just give me a call and I'll see if I can hook you up with some place in England. And he hooked me up at Reading, so I'm really grateful for that. So it's, it's good to have someone to look up to. And uh, I mean... Jan made my career in England. Well, you know how if you, they always say too, you surround yourself with good people or the the, the right people. Yeah. And that sure can help to go in that way. So you, you yeah, well, whether it, he showed you the the, the light, yeah. you still gave him the opportunity as well. I wasn't making that much money though. <laughs> <laughs> I had five, five pounds to start, 15 pounds a point. <laughs> And I had that for two years. <laughs> so it was not much money to earn, but you have to score some points to get some money. Man. So, See, this is all the stuff. Let, yeah. let these guys hear that today, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I started in Sweden. When I started, I had 25 crowns a point <laughs> and 25 crowns a heat. So it's... You were killing it. Yeah. <laughs> 250 crowns after the meeting. I was well on the way. Dang, I must have, I must have been. So when I came in 89, I think I was on 20 pound a point. So, yeah. you know, I was making the big cash yeah. by then. I didn't have any start money, but I had that 20 pound a point. Yeah. The wow. difference was I didn't score any points, so it didn't matter. <laughs> well, same with me. I mean, I, I didn't care about the money. I was just wanting to ride a bike, so... I didn't care what they said. Just sign the contract. Yeah, sign the contract. I'm out of here. I just want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just want to ride a bike. <laughs> when you look, you look back at it like that. That was eighty nine, and then ninety, and in nineteen ninety two, uh, even even before that, when you won your world title. Yeah, I remember Billy Hamlin and I were standing in the uh, 
we were in the first corner at Bradford that year. Yeah. And we were just watching it. We were stoked because there we were. Like, I had seen the world final in 1985 at Bradford. Yeah. I was over as a kid just watching and staying with John Cook at that time and Bobby Schwartz kind of moving around. But Mm -hmm. here I was at my second world final to watch, standing in the first corner. And, of course, we were were rooting for Sean Moran because we wanted the American guy. But you were the guy that Billy and I were both talking about, like... Perry Johnson's the dude who's like this is no lie. We were both standing. That's the guy who could. Uh, we think he's the dude that could really win this, yeah. but we really want Sean Moran to win. You yeah. Know? So, watching that from that point and seeing, you know, that was a pretty good day of racing. Oh, it's a beautiful track as well. I mean, to stand and watch it as well, it's like a pit. Now, I mean, it goes down like that. You can see the racing, and I just love that track with the banking and everything. And it was such a cool yeah. racetrack. You and I were talking before, this is part of the inspiration for this podcast too, but you and I were talking earlier and discussing, you know, in your, in your career growing up and we're trying to learn the right ways. And when you're, when we're young, we're pretty hot headed and you know, you, you, you say what you think and sometimes you don't, you just keep it all to yourself. But listening to a couple of things that you said, I, I, I think people should hear because we're all so different as competitors or just in life in general going to work. You're always yeah. looking for a way to have a good day or be better at your job or whatever you do. You yeah. know? But listening to what you just said, and you were telling me the story about your 1988 World Championship. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's <clears throat> then it was just a final. Now it's like a Grand Prix and that, but then it's just a final. And uh, you do all the qualifying up to, to the World Final. It's a big way to go. Mm-hmm. But uh, you don't have to. You you can't make any mistakes to get to the final. But you got one day, huh? Yeah. So a month before, you know you're in the final, and then you know who you're gonna ride against and everything. And um, for me, like when when you come to final like that, you knew every race who you had and which, which gate you had. And uh, I just went through my head. I did it like hundred, two hundred times every race, and I won every race. And I was just how to do it in different ways. If I make miss the start, I do that, and if I do that, and whatever is second lap. So I did the race so many times, and um, I got excluded in my first race. And um, I mean, when you've been working so hard and you build up so much side inside you, you're like an atomic bomb, like inside, because you wanna. When you get on the track, you need to put everything there, and I got excluded in my first race, and. Um, everything just exploded when I came into the pits when I knew I was excluded and I had no chance winning the world final when you get excluded in the first race anti-climax so, huh yeah so it was I mean I after that I should just jumped in the van and gone home but I kept going but I couldn't sort of get myself to to work properly during that race and uh, I learned a lot from that so I mean for me I started to try to find ways how how to do all that stuff and um, in 89 I met uh, Eva Rush she's a psychologist in in athletics and stuff like that so I got in contact with her and then I started to talk about all this stuff and uh, we did quite a lot together and she gave me tapes and stuff to listen to how to relax and everything I mean 
sometimes uh, it's always been hocus pocus for me i mean when you listen say people saying stuff like that you've but, heard so many people talk about this yeah stuff, they huh? do and uh, no one's going to get into my head and, and mess it up and I'm, I'm strong enough but after 88 i tried to learn something from it and uh, i started to listen to these tapes and how to relax and trying to find a safe spot in my life where i felt really safe and relaxed and everything and I started to do that and, and did that for about half a year before this, when I made made it through the world final. And uh, I just went through everything. And what I did wrong in 88 was that I won every race. And now I had to sort of make sure that if I miss a race, if I get second or third, I can still get going. And to learn all that and to find a place, it, it's difficult to to explain you know like this but it, it's a big process to do but it helped me a lot during the well my life everything it, it's uh it's not just in sports in in life generally yeah everything so you took in what you were doing in 1988 was what we would refer to as visualizing the race yeah. before it happened i mean you took that to another level because you were visualizing days and days and days and days before yeah. which maybe that's what you're supposed to do, but it's quite interesting how you, you, you won all your races, but then somebody threw in a speed bump there, Yeah, and it you tested yourself, and it went all out, but after meeting Eva Rush, Rush yeah. and learning this new technique... Yeah, it, it's, it, a, it's a special thing. I think most of the riders, I mean, it's like you go to Ingmar Stenmark, you know, the slalom. Right. I, I've been watching a lot of stuff about documentary about him and everything and he was like a psychologist on his own he did, he learned all that stuff himself that today when you look back at it and then you can see that shit he's been doing that what we do now uh-huh. 15 years later he did that all on his own so it, i mean you you learn a lot of stuff from that and after that when when I learned all that stuff, Eva got in contact with me. She was working with the school with kids from third grade up to ninth grade. And uh, we worked together and with the kids and stuff and how to learn to relax because it's such a pressure on kids today, you know, schoolwork and everything going around. So we did this process with, with the kids, you know, to sit down and, and drawing some pictures about, you know, a safe place and where you felt as happy as you ever can be and all that stuff. And it was a bit struggle in the beginning, but we got them to come down and to find somebody they were talking to each other and everything. And then when they did that, Eva started to talk really slow about everything. And um, she she got them to, to fall asleep on the floor. And uh, all of us, we, we sat there, me and Eva, they would sleeping like for 45 minutes after that we started to talk to them again about everything and i mean they come down and that helped a lot i mean it's the same with everything it's it's you have to find so today everyone is running into the wall i mean they have hard works they they work so much and maybe sometimes to get to that place where you can go down and pick up some more power to be able to do a lot of stuff and 
it comes into normal working days or racing or whatever. So it, it's really interesting and it's working really good. <laughs> There's so many good tools there. Yeah, you can imagine what what people go through uh, in in your racing world or whatever. But listening to all that and what what you have to do, where you have to dig so deep, mm. can can help in so many ways. No, no matter what position you're in. But like you said, sometimes you have to you have to go down so far to find the way back up. But if you can take yourself there and manage to to bring yourself back up from a big rut and yeah. and go on and pull off a crazy victory or or just uh, just to complete something that you've been working hard at it's it's oh, it helped me a lot during my career after that and uh, i mean you know we raced quite a lot i mean i since 90 when england i mean we did about 65 meetings just in england yeah. when you had all the knockout cups and everything so it's quite big with all the qualifying and Swedish league and all that so I did about over 100 meetings I mean in that time and you when you learn how to relax in between trying to find that space it 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 helped you and then obviously you need to train a lot as well to keep fit and that so I mean that everything like that you have to put together and, and doing all that to be able to to be at the level and to be as consistent as you are. When you're doing, if we go back to that stage, was that when Sweden was kicking off the Swedish league? Were you always riding Swedish league when you went to England too? So you had to fly back every week? Not the first year, 84. I, they, Svimo had an uh, agreement with, with the BSPA that the first year you came over, you didn't have to ride in, in Swedish league. So okay. So I had that, that year off. So that, that was really good. So you, you could concentrate just on, on England. So so back then, I'm curious about this too, because we've probably talked about it over the years, but I can't yeah. remember it all. But 85 then, your, that would have been your second year. Yeah. So were you going to Sweden then? Yeah, yeah. I, we had to go back and ride the Swedish League. How many times with that, or how many teams were in the league then, uh, roughly? About 10 or 12. That many teams yeah. back then? 12 I think so that meant you were going back like 20 odd times yeah and then for the qualifying stuff as well so when we did that so flew quite a lot over that was two more do you know what a plane ticket cost then it cost 225 pounds to fly back and forward back but we had a deal Svimo had a deal with BSPA that they the promoter had to pay for the flight mm-hmm. so we could afford to go back and forth because I couldn't afford to buy a plane ticket going back and forward. So it's So the promoter had to pay for your flight yeah. every time you went back? For all, the Swedish League, yeah. For the Swedish League, all twenty on yeah. twenty, twenty plus times. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So otherwise I mean you you couldn't afford to do it, otherwise it's I didn't make that much money. No, yeah, when you start to calculate all that yeah. stuff. Right? When did you start riding in Poland then? Well, the Polish League didn't open for the foreigners properly ni- until 91. So that was when it officially opened. Yeah, I remember that's... Hans Nielsen was quite big, and then, and then you started there. Yeah. Were you in Torin right away? Yeah, I went. I've yeah. always been 
You were touring the, the whole time. Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He's he's uh, pretty much a touring guy through and through. Yeah. He's. I mean, you're one of the few guys that's got a stadium street named yeah. after you. <laughs> I still can't believe it though. But I mean, I I, uh, I always. I mean, you do it as well. I mean, it, there's certain guys that give back a lot. I mean, if I had time over, I helped out with the juniors or even my teammates. If I had a day after that I didn't ride, I stayed and I helped out training and doing all that. I never charged any money or anything for anything. So I just did it to, to help way. out. That that's, that's how I was. So it's always been like that. So if I could help, I do it. Do the, the do what you can. Yeah. So you did go on, you did Sweden and England basically then after 1985, 86, 87, 88, and obviously world championships too. Yeah. How many how many individual world championships did you ride in? Uh, 87, 88, 90, 91, 92, 93. 89, you didn't make it? No. It was that year when they started to mix about with the, the mufflers, the silences. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, Everyone, you had the pleasure of riding during yeah, those periods. <laughs> that was a big mess. I mean, Toba made a silencer and... We used it. It was, you know, the the one that was, but the Danes and everyone they they made their own, and you know, I mean they. Yeah. So, I but mean, was... the bikes didn't work. It was like like a suitcase in the back there, and it was horrible. There's no power, nothing in the bikes, and uh, so I missed the world final in '89. That was Munich, right? '89. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tony also made it to, from the Nordic final in Finland. Was, uh, was Jimmy Nielsen in that one too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't he make, make it, it either. He so didn't either. No. It was a big mess there. I remember in Finland when, when we were doing the examination on the bikes and everything. It was a big mess. They had to call the FIM blokes and everything because everyone had all the Danes and that had all the mufflers, like different ones. and So it was a big, big thing. Pretty nuts. So, and then I remember guys putting like wire brushes and stuff in the mufflers yeah. trying to get them to pass certain tests and then <laughs> it was getting everyone got pretty creative right? uh, it was everything i mean the bikes were too light you put some chains under the seat you had to put some stuff everywhere and weigh it and then to get in there but um yeah it's a lot of stuff happening <laughs> well cra- crazy yeah. times yeah definitely and then winning the winning the title in 1990 was yeah i mean that's obviously yeah a highlight right yeah yeah it was a i mean i you have i mean i had that goal all the way since i was a kid i wanted to be a world champion i had my uncle Tolaif hansen and Morcross. he was second in the world and i wanted to be better than him i wanted to win the world championship so Tourleif being a, a huge iconic name in the motocross world i wonder how many people around the world know that that's your yeah. uncle <laughs> pretty cool yeah i remember the first phone i could get hold of i phoned him straight away did you really <laughs> yeah i got after the meeting we got went to the hotel with pat and my promoter and then they stayed at the place i had to stay there and so i went by so i went up to the hotel room and i got hold of the phone and i phoned him it was like two o'clock in the morning and he answered 
Hello. And I said, yeah, you're number second, I'm number one. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first person I had in my mind when I won it. I'm at the top of the family now, buddy. <laughs> because he called, I, I, was, I started off riding motocross. And um, when dad bought a frame, a speedo frame, we put the, the, the motocross engine in that frame because it, it fit it and everything. And uh, he, he called me like and he, I was so weak. I couldn't ride motocross anymore. Blah, blah. <laughs> You know, so really, you know, tough guys don't ride speed or they ride motocross and blah, blah, and everything. So you guys just go around in circles. Yeah, just go around in circles and that. So he's the first bloke I called it was him. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you continue to remind him of that. <laughs> ah, he does. You know, I mean, he said, I'd take my hat off. He said, you're number one now in the family. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's good. He is... He knows his place. Now he's good. He, he says all the time, he says, yeah, he, I'll take your hat off for you. It's amazing. So it's, it's good. I remember, I remember, was it your dad that jumped on the track and was yeah, and yeah. laid on the track, was kissing the track. Too. Yeah, yeah, never, yeah, I'll never did. forget that. I can still <laughs> picture it like it was yesterday, you know, those, those early years. It was just, yeah, that's when you, the emotions, because we were happy then is that Sean Rand was second yeah, yeah. that day. And we were super stoked uh, how it all turned out. But just the emotions of the whole deal, like we're standing there, Billy and I looking at each other, just going, yeah. Rad, <laughs> we so want to do this. That was like the, yeah. the most inspiring, like we already had Speedway was the big carrot, you know, and now yeah. we're standing at Bradford at that full stadium and watching you guys go toe to toe. It's unbelievable. This, <clears throat> I mean, I was... I was riding motocross all the time, and then my dad, he, he's born on Gotland, and it, it's an old tradition, I mean, Speedway, Galberget in, in, on Gotland, and um, he grew up watching Speedway and everything, so he wanted me to ride Speedway, but it was difficult to ride, you know, 50 Speedway, small Speedway wasn't available right. at that time when I started, so it was a different thing, so when they started off here in Sweden... They bought the frame, the speedway frame, just a 50cc one, and put the engine in from the motocross bike, and I tried it. And I mean, four guys going into the corner. What was that? And normally, a third I was going in there. It was nothing. So <laughs> I wasn't afraid to put a few arm bows up there. And there was... So those motocross guys were right. Speedway's <laughs> easy. I mean, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, but I, I'll tell you what. To ride a speedway bike, I mean, I... I have so many friends that ride motocross and everything, and I love I love motocross more than anything. I watch it every time. Even I mean, Tom and Dennis, my sons, I mean, they're into speedway and that. But I watch, I load, download everything on motocross, supercross, whatever. And I watch it, and they they're a bit bored. Ah, can't you put some speedway on that? Ah, this is more cool. Like I, I want to watch it. So it's uh, motocross has always been a. Uh, a big thing for me like so it's uh, it's been in my life since I started so I enjoyed it but to ride a speedway bike you can buy all the gears and whatever I mean a motocross bike you can buy all the right gear and you can look really tough out there and I mean you can jump a few jumps and you look okay but put the bloke on a speedway bike it's <laughs> nothing I mean you can take anyone like that rides motocross or anything put them on a speedway bike they can't even slide I mean it's, <laughs> it's difficult but to have that feeling riding a speedway bike I mean it, it's thin frames and everything you can feel everything and you look at it 
like everyone comes up and look at speed of bike oh fuck this is just like a bicycle but when you're out there on the track when you ride it and you, when you hit that dirt line and you let the bike just run in it and you can control you let the bike go but you can control it I mean it's like a roller coaster it, it the feeling that you have when you ride a speedway bike Second is unbelievable yeah it is definitely it's funny what you said about the weak frame or whatever and I, yeah. I when I tell people about a speedway bike I said it's like riding a piece of spaghetti yeah <laughs> and, it is and, it and is. really it's not you want to ride that piece of spaghetti before you cook it so it's nice <laughs> and stiff and, and, and but so the only way to ride it is you have to you have to gas it right yeah and you have to make the whole thing the whole bike mm. <laughs> i use the swedish word spin yeah spin, <laughs> and the yeah. thing has to be like stiff you so you have to kind of yeah make everything go flex to the maximum point where it can't flex anymore mm. and that's what makes it most steady to ride and that's where you have your arms straight and then you're just with the throttle and controlling the edge of the flex point of just keeping it on the edge of the dirt line yeah. and, and uh, i mean it's unbelievable i mean even uh, like a speedboard frame like you said it's, it's quite flexible i mean it, it moves quite a lot but i remember jan when i came over to england he cut his frame the back off under the seat yeah, took a hacksaw and he cut it so it was even more flexible. I you remember know, you telling me this. Yeah, one. in places. And I remember I went up to, to Coventry and uh, we did a league meeting. And I went out and made a few practice starts and I jumped off the start and I could, could hardly slide the bike. It was just going like, it was on rails. And I was like half a straight in front of Tommy Knudsen and everyone. He was going so quick. Coming in and Brian looking at the bike and he says, shit. Is broken, you know, just b- behind the footrest, you know, where it normally breaks. Yeah, is exactly. behind there, and then he says, yeah, "That's why it was so flexible when I came into court." So we left it. I rode as much as I could on it until it broke. It was so nice. It was difficult to ride, but he, he hooked up everywhere. All the dirt I hit, it was just going on rails around the corners. I had 15 points that <laughs> night. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and another thing that makes Speedway so odd, right? Yeah. So everything can be broke and it works awesome. <laughs> What's up with that? And then you go like 100 kilometers like into the corners <laughs> with broken frames and stuff. It's, no, it's, it's a feeling that you can't describe. You have to be able to do it. It, it really, I mean, that's still the thing that, that gives me the... The buzz, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got that feeling. It's like, it yeah. sits it sits in your in your bloodstream or in your spine or however you want to put it. It's just yeah. every year at the end of the season, when the season finishes and you put the bikes away for a couple of months, right? Yeah. And then it comes to end of December or early January and you get on the bike again and you think, go into the first corner and you think, I hope I didn't forget. Yeah. You kind of lean it over and just take that little easy slide just to kind of see where you are. And uh, you remember the first time you come up in the spring? I mean, now you're in the state, you go over, you can ride a bit, but here when you don't ride anything and you get on the bike, you're like a beginning of the first couple of days and thinking, oh shit, I can't, can't slide. And you know how the tracks are in England at the beginning of the year yeah. with the clay and everything, you can't hardly turn coming into the corners. And your ass, shit, and you start. <laughs> and you can't walk for a couple of days. That's right. You're doing a few starts and it's ramming you your seats, ramming skin, you in the back. Skin of the... Yeah. You got skid marks Say no more, those are the deepest, darkest secrets yeah. coming out right there. You got skin marks from your seat? <laughs> oh, it's like you're a virgin to be in here. 
The, the funny, the funny thing is, we I remember coming back to England too, and I'd been practicing a couple of times in the states, but yeah. people would come out on the press and practice day and haven't sat on the bike, and they go out on the press and practice day, make a few starts and a couple of laps, yeah. and then we'd have the first meeting the next yeah. day. You go like, on ask, what? are you training? Are you practicing or anything? Now the first sometimes, well, I remember one winter just came over to England didn't have any practice or anything just straight on the bike out in the first race I mean today no downtime I mean, you can practice you can do everyone's doing testing and everything it wasn't I mean you, there were no tracks that you could do it on that that time you weren't allowed to be on the track especially when you came to England because of the dogs That's right, they wouldn't yeah. let you out on the tracks because you had to cover the dog tracks on the outside yeah it wasn't that easy yeah and the so, weather yeah, and the Never weather. What the yeah. weather was going to throw at you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Jan told me, like, like I said, you know, when I came over, I said, I can't even slide the bike coming into the corner. <laughs> it's good, Jan said. It's good. Train as much as you can because it's going to be like this all in the beginning of the year. So if you train, the more you train on it, just, I mean, you have to be bad when you practice. Everything <sighs> has to be bad. It's not supposed to feel nice and everything. It is because when you come to a meeting, Often the tracks are prepared really good and everything, so it's much easier. Yeah, if you go with that. So train on rutty tracks or hard, you know, with holes and everything. Just go out. I remember I went to 88, I rode in Gotland for Busana. Uh huh. And. Uh, By Sarna? Yeah, Busana. <laughs> By Sarna. By Sarna? <laughs> we were out and I, I stayed there as well and we were practicing and I said to the boys, you know, there were some ruts. And I said, leave it. And then every time you have to hit it when you're coming out of the corners to learn how to handle it. Because that's the way you should do. When you practice, you should do it in a bad way. Really? Because if you learn on something that's really smooth and easy to ride... Yeah, it's easy for everyone else. So it's, I mean, they learn quite a lot. And, and uh, I mean, some of them turn, fell off the bikes and... You know, everyone was not too happy about it. But that year, we won the Swedish final in teams. I won the Swedish final. Me and Tony Olsson had the Swedish pairs. Oh. And the 50cc won the Swedish as well. So <laughs> we made a grand slam there down in Gotland. So it's, wow. it's good. It's a really good year. Was Torbjörn Harrison involved back then? No, not down there. He, oh. he was uh, still in, in Gettingarna then. So yes. he was okay. He was still been racing. Because I yeah. Because I I uh, I was supposed to go to Gotland in eighty seven, but they put me along Karens. What do you call it? Svimo uh, can put someone on if they not agree. The clubs don't agree. Oh. I have to wait another year. Oh, so okay. I had to wait another because they uh, Kim didn't sign the papers from getting on. So I rode there in eighty eight. Gotcha. And then I went back to, to get them going. Well, it was Stockholm United in '89, though. That was when it. Okay, I've heard so much talk about that. And yeah. When you mentioned Gotland, and and I I always think of uh, yeah. Thorbjorn Harrison when we yeah. talk about Gotland. <laughs> so well, I just said, yeah. Yeah, we left uh, Gotland. Then. Yeah, he had already yeah. left the island. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm. Now you grew up. In in uh, Uppland's Vespi, yeah. where you still live now, right? So yeah. you're here. But 
another thing, obviously your, your history and listening to your childhood and your father and, and we're all brought up in a different way Yeah, and we all like to share stories here and there. And I don't know how much you want to share about your upbringing, but I found, you know, when we talk and you tell me stories, I'm always curious about uh, how I was brought up, how my, you know, with my, how my dad Mm -hmm. was and other people, how their fathers or brothers and sisters and who has to support who. So it's always fun to hear the difference, but I mean, your, your dad was quite influential in so many ways. Yeah. Yet it was, you also had the, the, the difficult times as well as we all do, but in different ways. So how much can you tell us about how you grew up and. Well, I, my dad had a, he always been, I mean, he, like I said before, he, he, he was from Gotland. He's been watching Speedway since he was a kid. They went to Galberget on Gotland. And um, yeah. he wanted me to ride Speedway. But you couldn't ride Speedway. There was no tracks or anything for small bikes then. So um, he sold, he had a motocross bike and he sold that one and, and uh, bought one of them Italian Jet. Ita- Italian Jet, so yeah. they call it. And uh, he traded from his, uh, his motorbike and... Uh, so that's how I started to ride. I was three years old when I got it. And uh, he's always, he wanted to ride and he wasn't good enough, he f- felt. So he rode through me, but it's not like he was there telling me or, or what to do or whatever. But I loved riding. And uh, Did he do any other sports or anything like that? Or, I mean, did you do any other ice hockey or no I, mean, I seem to ask a lot of the guys this because i'm curious you know yeah. sweden's such a hockey related country and skiing and and oh, i mean all sorts of stuff but. first time i tried something else it was uh i think i can't remember how old i was six seven or something all the kids and everyone like you know they were playing football and that and it was like a big thing in the summer you could be manchester united arsenal or, or different it was like a small league or something they had a, like a tournament for a week uh-huh. and my mom asked me if I wanted to do it and you know so they bought me a pair of football shoes and then I said nah well I, <laughs> I can stand in, in the guard I can be a goalkeeper and I, I stood there so I did one match that's all I did and then nothing else has been I mean I I'm interested now or when I was riding and everything I, I, I was interested in most of the stuff but just in for training you know, cross country skiing and, and stuff like that. So it's, but I never been doing anything else than than riding a motorbike. That's been my life. So it's been, I mean, they, a couple of friends of mine I've been friends with Roland and and his brother. Their dad was a good friend with my dad since they were kids as well. Like so, they build bikes as well. They did out of go kart wheels and they build the bikes with moped engines and stuff inside it and wow. uh, so um, we've been riding a lot like different things and I remember trying to get hold of a proper bike for a kid like it was difficult so I remember one year dad got hold of someone MC Trim in Stockholm he was selling motorbikes like Holly Davidson different stuff so he went in so he bought a Holly Davidson like a mini bike and uh that was too small because I, you know, I wasn't that old. I was like eight or nine, yeah. so uh, it was quite small. So I, I rode that one on the motocross track, uh, jumping <laughs> with that holly. <laughs> so it was, after that, I mean, I, I think I was ten when he bought a Cradler, like a fifty cc, 
and we had to cut the seats and everything to make it low so I could jump on. It was like a 125, 125 like as big as them, so it's difficult to get up to on it. So when I fell over, I couldn't lean it up or anything. I was far, far away on the motocross track, and I was just screaming, can you help me? Like everyone, they had to run down and help me lift up the bike so I could keep going. So, so this is what made your your uh, your speed rate career what it was. You got to practice on the worst yeah. case scenario conditions to be a good rider. So definitely, you, yeah. you started young. <laughs> you learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's been it's been tough, but I mean, I most of the people around know my dad when I was a kid. I mean, he was he wasn't the uh, the best person to be around. You know, sometimes when he no. he was, uh, but he was always there to help me out and. We were practicing Tuesdays and Thursdays, and and he was always there. We were practicing, uh, competing in the weekends, like yeah. all over Sweden. We we drove and put in a few miles. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, definitely. So it was. Uh, I remember one year I was, I think probably around eleven, and I was up race. We were going up on a Tuesday and we were practicing and. Uh, I went out, nothing felt good. I mean, it was dusty, it was dry and everything. It was horrible. They're coming in, like, those days it was about 100 people, like, practicing every Tuesday, Wednesday or whatever up there. And um, I came in, I was like, oh, this shit doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. I was going on. And dad didn't say anything. He just picked up the bike and threw it in the back of the van <laughs> and left. And I stood there, like, my tears was just going down. Like all the people was looking at me and like, what's happening there? Like so, he he like left you. He left like, me standing there with my helmet. I, was, I stood as I came in, like, and he hit the, the road. Track. He just hit the road. Like <laughs> forty five minutes, my mom found out that I was up there, so she came up and picked me up. Oh, and, brutal! <laughs> so it was. Uh, Maybe oh, I shouldn't laugh, but no. But after that, I didn't complain. <laughs> I knew if I say do that again, I won't be able to ride a bike. So. I did everything. I'm to not going to do that no, again. Never, never. So uh, it's um, tough school, but I mean, I I did everything I could to to be able to be on a bike. To ride your bike. Yeah, two years. I mean, I <laughs> when I was four or five or something, we went down to Gotland to a summer house. We were staying there, and this neighbor had a moped, and uh, I mean, I've been riding on the bike, you know, my my small bike, and that and. I asked him if I could ride it. He said, no, you're too small. I said, no, 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 I got a bike, so I can ride. I said, yeah, if you take a snuff, he said. <laughs> if you take a snuff, you can ride my bike, my moped, he said. Snuff. So I, I jumped on the bike, the moped, and I was driving it. And uh, and um, all of a sudden, everything started to spin, just spinning and spinning. Off. Uh, I was puking and puking oh. and puking. <laughs> and then like, oh shit I have to come home I have to go home to mom and dad wonder what they're going to say like coming home and I was just puking I went straight to bed what are you going to tell them and then dad just screamed from the other room ask him what he's done has he been smoking his snuffing or what Yo. what has he been doing so I came out straight away like he, he understood because I've been out with this other bloke and he was like 14, 15 I was just 4 or 5 like he was uh, <laughs> speak some experience yeah <laughs> that's well that that's pretty cool oh there's some stories but yeah the, the life experiences that shape us into the people we are today right so yeah 
yeah, makes us better or worse as as, yeah. as adults and as parents. But <laughs> well, we've gone the hard school. Yeah, we have to learn it the hard well, way. And then if we jump up, jump forward now a little bit, and then looking uh, nineteen ninety two is when I started writing in Sweden. Yeah, and I was invited to. Right in in Gettingarna, yeah. where you and Jimmy Nielsen were. Yeah, and as I understand it, and I'm I'm still going to go with it, whether uh, you disagree with me or not. But I tell everybody it was Per and Jimmy that said I had to be in the team. So yeah, I'm well, just kidding. Well, no, just kidding. No, no, it's right. It's right <laughs> because when no, they were when yeah. we were building the team, I, I spoke to to Kim and Kikan and them about you know about you, and I said that, and they were talking about Bill as well because they were going back and forth. I said no. And Billy was already in Sweden, then, too, yeah, right? Yeah, uh-huh. because they were going to build a team for for that that year, and uh, I said we we go with Greg because he's you know talented. I mean, you two were the okay. most upcoming then. So he's, uh, I remember Gary Higgs came as well. Yeah, one maybe, year he yeah. was he right. was over. That's even the year before me. Maybe the year before ninety one. Yeah, yeah, he was there. Because did he ride for? That team too? He was that Stockholm? Getting on it. Yeah. Getting on it. yeah, yeah, he rode that. Wow. So, yeah. That was, and then I came, was it both Screeny and I that year? Joe Screen? Did he come the first no, year? No, or was no. he the next? He came, no, the, maybe the next year he came yeah. or something. I remember he and I rode together, but being there that first year, uh, you know, for me, I went from riding just in England to in to 1992. Two leagues, yeah. I actually jumped into three leagues. I did Poland oh, and Sweden Poland, that yeah. year. That's why I was curious when you started Poland to, to think yeah. about how this all added up and then you're talking about the traveling and stuff. Yeah. And suddenly going from just riding for Cradley Heath to riding for Cradley Heath, Jettingarna in Sweden, and then Leszno in Poland. Yeah. And you, you know, I had two bikes to begin yeah. with and suddenly you needed to have another bike for Sweden, just yeah. one chassis and then one chassis in Poland. And then I just remember taking engines and carburetors and clutches and your gear bag with you everywhere that's all you could afford to yeah. do because i couldn't afford to buy too much more gear at that time <laughs> and diving into this whole new world and how rad sweden was yeah. at that time i i got to you and jimmy i really hadn't got to know yet no. really very much and i remember like you guys were so serious. I remember thinking, Perry Johnson, I never saw him smile, you know? He just seemed <laughs> like such a serious guy. Yeah, I was always, I had that fucking stamp on me. I mean, I, I, when I did everything, whatever it was, I mean, I remember when, when I signed off for, for Toro in, in, in 91, I said, if, I, if I, a lot of people left bikes or some or frame or something down there, and I said, if I'm going to ride it, I'm going to have two bikes every time and if I mean it meant more traveling for me or my mechanics because I sometimes I, I you know you drove it down with them if you had the time sure or if I was riding in, I had to fly in or drive back with them or whatever so it's I always had to be prepared for whatever I did I I, I couldn't go there I mean it, to a meeting not being prepared so it's it's um it's tough though, but it's to to be able to have all that stuff. It's, I mean, now you're talking about '92. I started to be, you know, coming up in my game and everything. It was not when I started. When I started, I when I went over to England, I just had one bike, and I didn't have anything in Sweden. So when I went back for qualifying, I had to borrow a frame, and I had oh. to carry, 
the engine with me that I had in England <laughs> on the plane. Everyone was having the engine with you in the cabin and in, in the plane and everything. I've heard stories you know, about looking that. looking oh. like it was weighing nothing, like thirty five <laughs> kilos on his shoulder. Yeah, I lifted on the <laughs> the thing. They go and they look like, what's that? Um, it comes out and then and they open it what's that oh it's an engine oh it's heavy no 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 so you lift it up like like that it was it was like you said you know we had just the same didn't have so much stuff when we were traveling back and forth we had to bring all the stuff and I mean now these days you can get suits and stuff prepared for you but you know before it was leather and everything it took time to get a set of leathers so you had to set that you had all the year in every country you rode. You had to clean it. You had to do everything. I remember going And they were back. actually leathers back yeah, then too. Yeah, it was proper, proper stuff. Like, yeah. so it's coming back from, like, if I rode at Manchester, you know, rode in England on the... I rode Mondays every time and Sweden Tuesdays. So coming back from Manchester at night, you had to clean off the bike, take the engine out, and then you were finished about 3 o'clock in the morning. 5 o'clock, you had to go to the airport coming home putting the engine in when i go back here to sweden and then get it prepared loaded up going down to vetlanda and do the meeting there going back oh. take the engine out you did that on your own i mean now these days you have mechanics and everything yeah i had my friend Polly he helped me out you know doing the, as much as he could so it's it's a big thing you know how you do how you did it then can't you can't compare it today no to then you know and people sometimes when you tell the stories even some of the young guys that come yeah. over from the states and you tell them what you did and they look at you like that's like your parents telling you yeah i used to walk backwards to school yeah. uphill both ways in the snow and the wind like they look at you like that like you yeah. didn't do it like yeah. that like <laughs> man yeah you know what uh, i don't even want to begin to tell you yeah. the, the blood sweat and tears and the engine's smoking hot right after the race and you got to pull it out of the engine and put it in the bag and then take the bag yeah. with you back to the airport and you know, and that's you were doing it even even more yeah. <laughs> than I was at no. that stage. But it's a learning, it's a learning process, and if you're keen enough to get through all that, I mean, it, it's the reward is on the other side. So it's huge, huh? Yeah. Saying all that, I like how quickly my my whole opinion changed of you and Jimmy Nielsen. So it's a classic case of don't judge a book by the cover. No, because as soon as I remember the first after the first trip of traveling with you guys, I was like, "Oh my gosh, these guys are rad! They are so cool! How could I ever think that? I never just had a chance to sit and and just rap with them, and here they were, basically talking to me like I'm yeah. one of them." And I was just yeah, but it's like you said. I mean, I I wasn't that popular. I mean, I when I was riding, everyone was like, you know, people like Henka or whatever. Everyone's so relaxed during the meeting, everything. When I went, I did. I wanted to do as good as I could mm-hmm. when I was on the track. And I that was the way I was, how to concentrate and doing all that. For me, it was serious because it's I want to go out and I want to win races. I can't just... Some people need to have that relaxed situation. Some can can do it, some can't. And I was... Everyone thought I was... You know, I mean, <laughs> I even remember Armando. I mean, he... He was like that, that serious cunt, like he was you know, looking at me uh, <laughs> and everything. And when you start to know people, you, know, you don't let in everyone while you're racing and everything. But on the side, it's a different thing. But when you went there, it was my job. I saw it as my job. I go there. They hired me to do a job. I wanted to do as good a job as I could. Mm. All the meeting and everything. And then 
I mean, it, it's a long season, as you know, when 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 we were riding. Yeah. So I mean, I couldn't. I I never went out and partying and and doing all that stuff because I knew I was riding the next day, and I took it serious all the way. And then I I know I I put so much. No one else did it, but I put pressure on myself because I every time I did like test matches or or um, for for the Swedish team and it, I mean I the pressure I put on myself I, I remember even at home before I was going going to meetings if Maria started to talk about you know who we racing against tonight or whatever I, I had to run to the toilet straight away <laughs> I mean I, everything I, I I did I I know that if someone else doesn't score I have to score because I was the captain and everything and if someone did bad I have to score the points so it, it in the way I, I always put the pressure on me and it was quite tough in the end when I crashed in Poland I remember the first thing that came up in my mind after I'd been tumbling around and got my eyes open and I realized I, everything was just burning in my body I, 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 I didn't know how it was what, whatever it was I thought I broke a leg or whatever but I just felt like shit this is nice I'm going to be out for a couple of weeks or something so I can relax. Because I had wow, so much pressure. The first thing that comes up in my head was strange that, oh, nice, it's over. Now I can relax maybe a couple of weeks or something or a month. Because I, I didn't realize how bad it was when I crashed. So that's nuts. That's the first thing that comes up in my head. I'm going to get a break. <laughs> yeah, I got a break. and Because and it, it's tough to... The way I did it, it was that I put the pressure on myself all the time. I have to score. I have to do this. I have to all the time when I was out there. And then the same in England, whatever, you know, last heat in, you know, heat, maybe heat aside or something. Pat came running over all the time, you know, when it was heat 15. She came running over and, and started telling the peop- the, them two that I was going to race in that race like you have to win you have to win you have to win I, I just, no pressure i just said but just go away i know what to do so after that she never came up to me because i was i was already focused on what i'm supposed to do so it was um it was tough to to uh, to have that and it sort of destroyed a bit of the the feeling a bit in the end there because i i did i did have too many thoughts about you know maybe I should stop or whatever because it, it felt I had so much inside me that I was too much pressure. You think, even then, you know, I mean, we, we yeah. talked today about the pressures and the, the stresses yeah. and the strains with everything has come up. You can't just show up at the races with one chassis no. like we keep talking about. You have to have two bikes. You have to have one or two mechanics. You mm. have to be fresh. You can't have this. You can't have that. So you have all that, plus all the traveling in between and all the demands. And mm. and it's just a different era, right? You had all that stuff then, and it depends. Yeah. You don't need the pressure from outside because of the pressure you put on yourself. No. It's so high, and you're just a, ex- explaining yeah. that perfectly. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It, it, it's uh, the, way, the, way, the way it was. I mean, like I said, you know, you know how it is. I, them... We didn't earn that much money, so we could have paid mechanics or whatever you know yeah. to to do. So you did a lot of stuff yourself. So 
I wasn't only traveling or racing or whatever. I, I, I was cleaning the bike. I was in the van. I was doing... You did everything. And when you got some times off, I mean, it was the best feeling ever. And then yeah. to spend... I mean, I had two kids and I, you know, I mean, we had a family and stuff. And I didn't have that much time to... And in the end, it was... I mean, I, I, I was struggling a bit. I was still going good. I was still scoring and everything. It wasn't that, but I'm going through stuff. I mean, I had problems with my engines and I had a lot of things going on and, and trying to change everything. And uh, But um, yeah, it's it's tough, but it, it's... You always find a way, huh? Yeah, you do. And that way. Who... During that period, who was doing engines and stuff for you most of the time? Well, Jan, everyone knows that Jan had the quickest bikes and everything in England yeah. in the 80s, like in the in the beginning of the 90s as well. I mean, he always had quick stuff. And then, I mean, when I was riding in England, I was riding with him and I asked him, can't you do an engine for me? Can't you do it? He never did it. <laughs> and then I changed everything from because I was riding Java. And I was a factory rider for Java as well. And in 89, it didn't work as good because they wanted me to use stuff that they'd been mixing about and it, it wasn't working. So I cut the deal. I mean, I, it was the best deal you could ever imagine. Yeah. I mean, I had everything free. I, I mean, I had like a workshop. At my workshop, I had, I mean, it's like I could end up could pick nuts, bolts, everything for the engines. I had boxes from, from Java and everything I just stopped it and I said I have to do something else so Melavik was a big sponsor then, oh, yeah. and, and they said they were going to help me to, to buy engines so we bought five engines from GM mm-hmm. and um, that year Busse Berlin was helping me it was going good than that but it, it wasn't you know the quickest stuff and, and I asked Jan just a couple of months before the world final if you could do an engine for me. So he did my engine for that year in 90. It was, it was <laughs> unbelievable. I'll I tell you what, Jan always wanted us to, to swap bikes during the practice, practice day in England. Mm-hmm. And um, I had my, my bike. I, just, I mean, I went down to MC Tjänst in and picked up an engine from the shell, a Yaw engine, and put it in the bike, went over to England. And I was riding it, and Jan went out and he tested it. And you know, I said, Oh, you can try my bike. He said, So I went on his. And I'll tell you what, when I went out on the straight, there was just half a throttle, there was another half a throttle to use it mm-hmm. going into the corner. It was, it was, it was like a rocket video. machine, it was such a big. With mine, I went flat out, you know, going in. With Jan's, I could, you know, play with the throttle because it was so much power going into the corners. That's when I felt the difference. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, I mean, yeah, I just went on to Jan all the time. Can't you do an engine? Can't you do an engine? <laughs> but he was, um, yeah, he started to help me out there in '90. And he was still so active in his own racing. Yeah. And the way he did it, I mean, uh, no one could believe how he could get engines to work the way he did. He sat on his knee in in the workshop, you know, with small garage in Whitney, and he was going playing around, and he had the head up and the screws there to you know yeah. at the workbench and just filing away and then I mean it was quick stuff <laughs> you gotta you look at that now I mean he was he was a rider engine builder that was yeah. not at the same time 
and still building really fast engines and today. And he, he rode good as well. That's why, yeah. he, I mean, he could test the stuff in the proper way because he could felt, feel how it was working. And it's a good combination, but it couldn't work in the long run, though. It's difficult to Man. do all that. Yeah, to, to be able to do all that. Yeah. You, you often hear guys that, even Thomas Golub, one of those yeah. dudes, the same thing. I mean, the amount of times that he he can the feeling that he had for the bike and yeah. he could tell it with just one, one simple little practice start and that's no good and go in and, and com- completely make a change as yeah. I understand it, you know. Yeah. And even Sam Romlenko, another one, they, they have a yeah. hard time leaving things alone even mm. when they're fast as can be. Yeah. They always know that they can be a little bit faster, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, I, it's impressive yeah, but it, it must be so is. hard. Yeah. So hard to kind of delegate which, which way you want to go yeah. and be successful but some of these guys are so they're so clever and they've got the they've got the beauty of knowing how to ride the bike mm. so they can still put that across into the engine to and the engine yeah when you speak to someone like Yan for instance and yeah. uh, even Peter Johns and some of the other guys but uh at least you can when you tell them what you're doing and you're kind of explaining what it is you can see that their their mannerisms in their body they know exactly what you're talking about and they can read it and they they can basically translate that into the engine and, and get something for you. It's difficult. I mean, these days or whatever, I mean, some of the boys, they can ride a bike really good, you can see. But if they, if you ask them, what what how was it? Oh, it was good. It was fast. Yeah. yeah, but how did it run? How did it work? It's difficult for a junior tuner to to do something with your, with your engine if you can't tell them how you want it and how it feels when you're riding it. I remember when I was riding motocross, we went down to a bloke called Moto Johan, an old bloke, and he was he was the one who who made the flat trot, the Mikuni. He, he did right. it for Mikuni. For the and, uh, Yeah. What a cool name too, Moto Johan. Yeah, he was over. He was smoking like you know, like six packs a day. He was coughing away like in a really old workshop. Oh he was doing, <laughs> and he was tuning up my fifty cc up to twenty four thousand revs. And then it exploded. I just called my dad and said, you have to buy a new engine. <laughs> <laughs> this one blew up. But he went out. He went out. He didn't say. He went out to see a motocross meeting when I was riding. And he was watching me riding the bike. So he, when I came back and he, he asked me questions about it. And I said this and that. How oh, good. You know what you're talking about. Like, so I can help you. He didn't let anyone in there to, to help him to do the engine. So it's... That's cool. So it's important to to know. I mean, you're not going to be able to to work. You should know how an engine works and how it fitted and everything. But to tune everything in that, that's a different thing. But you should know how it works. That's the main thing. You should not. A piston, where is it? Oh, is that one that goes up and down. Okay, yeah. You know what? Do you actually yeah. know how, what makes this thing go around? Yeah. It's not just to put the gas in no. there. No. No, so it's. <laughs> part of the learning yeah it's cool even my kid wilbur there you know he's getting pretty into it now yeah. too. And i found something in my in my old files that was uh, or in my old boxes of stuff that i had that i i don't know where i got it but it was a, a little steam engine a little play steam engine yeah. and you basically have to put it together and 
and add the fuel and and the fire and and yeah. basically create you know put the water in the thing to where it heats it up and yeah. eventually makes the engine go around and he was so fascinated how it worked and i was excited that he did because at least he was looking at it where yeah. does that go and where does that go yeah. and in the end he had this thing running and making noise and then he understood what how how an how engine it works. works how yeah. it works yeah, cool. so yeah. it is important and even some of the guys that come today from the states you know the their fathers have done everything for them mm. and I keep explaining to Wilbur, you know, you need to learn how to take the bike apart and put it together and yeah. wash it. Just to understand how it works. Because like you said earlier too, when you wash it yourself, yeah. that's when you find things. That's when you see if a frame is broken or yeah. or you, you just pick stuff up. And later you can think of like, oh, maybe that's right. I remember there was a vibration in yeah. that last ride and there was a, a nut and a bolt that was coming loose on the silencer or on the yeah. exhaust or, or a frame was cracked, like you said. And yeah. then that's how you find it. And even down to changing your own tires and stuff like that. There's yeah. some riders out there today who are in their, you know, in their late teens and early twenties, haven't even changed a tire on their on their bike. And uh, yeah. if you had it like that when we started, yeah. you probably wouldn't have been riding. No. <laughs> but no. Uh, no, that's... Uh, looking back, I mean, today, obviously we're sitting here having a chat, and yeah. and uh, you've gone through some some crazy changes in life. You know, yeah. and, and uh, you're my, like I said, between you and some of the guys and, you know, Eric Gunderson and you guys have transformed yourselves. You, you, you know, you've got a new lifestyle because of yeah. the, what if your accident, what had happened, but you get so inspired because I'm sure you have some hard times some deep, deep times mm-hmm. right, right now. It's kind of rough too, because you've got the issues with the, with the bed sores that you yeah. guys are hoping that they're going to fix that for you soon. So you can be back in the um, uh, out on the road again and, yeah. and being crazy like you normally yeah. are <laughs> but it's fun to listen to how inspiring you are and listening to your your stories about how you succeeded in racing and how you're succeeded in life and how you tell your kids what they got to do today we haven't yeah. really talked a lot about them so far but listening to the whole uh, ambition of of how you say you have to go so deep into yourself and your body when you're trying to find the way when you might not have somebody close by to share your information with but for me i find that so interesting and so fascinating and uh, when you listen to people around the world and um, dealing with people that have got problems with you know whether drugs or alcohol and yeah. if if they can just find that part you know i understand that you know you you have to you have to keep going somehow and it must be so hard but yeah I, but you, you got to find something that i mean either you continue or you don't i mean you have to find something that that you want to live for i mean i sure i got my kids and i i got grandkids coming on so i'm i'm really pleased about that so grandpa yeah <laughs> that feels really old but it's uh, <laughs> now nah, well so um, I mean it's it's tough in many many ways, but uh, I mean I I from my experience in my earlier life before I got injured, I mean I I pick a lot of a lot of stuff from there and and trying to get my motivation and everything back and uh, sure I mean I have my ups and downs and everything, but uh, the main thing I'm alive, so it's <laughs> yeah heck heck life yeah life keeps going, so it's. Like you, you worked. I mean, I I think about uh, we talk about the inspiring things. I mean, you you've inspired me for years. And even though you're not writing uh, anymore these days, that the amount of phone calls, literally the amount of phone calls or messages that I used to get from you, 
when you would watch a Grand Prix that I'd be racing in, and, and mm. sometimes we were working together, like in yeah. Rospigano too, yeah. and you would give me a call, and you just, you would say, like, you need to straighten your arms. Yeah. You didn't say anything more. <laughs> you just said, you need to straighten your arms. And I mean, that sticks with me today. Yeah. And when my bikes are working really good, and I'm at my best, mm. and I see pictures of myself, my arms are straight. Yeah. And that's no lie. <laughs> and I and it took me so long to understand what you were trying to tell me. I, yeah, straighten your arms, straighten yeah. arms. But I mean, if I do that, the bike's going to stand straight up or I'm going to do this or I'll do that. But it's the combination of yeah. being confident in to yourself do yeah. to do it. Of course, the bike needs to work too. But at some point, once you learn how to straighten your arms and be confident that when you straighten your arms and you lean back... You have to be in the right position to do it as well. So it's Exactly. But that has... Uh, yeah. Again, the amount of phone calls that you had, yeah. you told me this. I don't know how many, how many times, literally. And I think back about it. And that's why I'm so excited yeah. to sit here and talk about it. Because yeah. between guys, it's you and it's Eric Gunderson were two huge, huge role models for me, when I, especially when I stepped to Europe. Because yeah. I went out of my normal comfort zone of all the people I was around. I had Lance King my first year being in England. And then he retired and went away. And you have all your American buddies, but Eric Gunderson gave up so much for yeah. me and Billy in our first year to go live with him. Yeah, he did. And well. then I managed to become quite good friends and with you. Mm. And you shared so much information with me the first year I was in Yetingana. Mm. And then right up to today, I mean, we we don't see each other as much as no. I always say that as we yeah. should. And that's not down. That's not your fault. <laughs> so I'm not going to say too much right now. But you've helped me a lot. You've helped a lot of kids. You've helped the Swedish team. You've helped teams here. Do you see yourself helping kids or any more in the future, or would you be interested if that was an opportunity? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I. It's like I said. I mean, I, when I started off, like I, I didn't have many people like tell me what to do and how to do it. Right. I had Torbjörn Harrison, he's been my, my inspiration all, all my career. He's always been there and he's helped me a lot doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I mean, even when he came, into, came to England, I think it was in 93 or 92, we went up to, to Bellevue. I couldn't get around the corners. You know, the old, the, <laughs> yeah. not the old one, but the, the new one. Now. The one in between. In between, yeah. yeah. And it's so tight corners and I couldn't get around the corners. And I what am I supposed to do? And I, I know Toby was up in the bar, and, and so I got him to call him down. I said, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> and he told me, like, you do that, you do that, and you go out there. So I went out, and I did it, and it, it worked. It's difficult. I mean, I to tell some riders, you can tell it by words. Some riders, you have to show them on a bike. It's different things. Some learn different. Hmm. And... Uh, to get in that, to, to be able to do stuff. And it's like I always said, like, you know, ride a wave, go up in the dirt and then find the dirt. Sometimes you have to go over it, go up on top of it instead, because there is nice and smooth. It's going to hook up. But I mean, if you learn to do that into the corners, because the speed you have into the corners, you have it when you come out. So if you slide too much going in, you don't have any speed coming out. So, I mean, it's, it's an easy equation to to do that but it's let me tell you it's an easy equation but it's not as easy to do yeah, it as he's making yeah, it out <laughs> that, that's what i mean i mean it, 
sometimes it, it's but I mean to help others I, I mean I I never if I can help anyone I do it I mean I for me the sport has given me so much I mean I it's, it's like I said it's it's been my life all the time I mean I, I've been living it and and the way it is now if I can give back something that I can help out with I even I mean I tell everyone that just give me a call if you need anything or if I can help you out I've never been asked I mean I money or anything doesn't exist for me because it's if I can help someone I want to help someone to do it so that's that's an inspiration to do it and sometimes you see some riders just wasting so much talent that they got mm. instead of taking care of it and, and do stuff and some some don't listen when you're trying to tell them and so it's a different things but uh, yeah I mean I always love speedway and it's like, like you said I I watch all the Grand Prix and everything, and I say, "Oh shit! Why is he doing?" I wish I had a phone so I could call you in the pits and say, <laughs> "You're doing that wrong. You should do that. Why do you do? Don't you see? Don't you have anyone watching the race and seeing what you're doing wrong? And you're doing over and over again." And I think, "Oh shit! If I just could get hold of a phone, so I could speak <laughs> to him, tell him what it's to do." <laughs> Even if I, I mean, I'm not always right, but I mean, I I can see when you're riding and. For me, it's something I just get so frustrated, and and when I'm saying that, it's like when I'm looking at Tobit or Harrison uh-huh. and he was he could go to like a, any meeting. It could be Division One or Two or whatever, like low division. He could just stand screaming on the side. What is he doing? Like he's screaming straight <laughs> out, <laughs> and then he come into the pits <laughs> and he telling the blokes like, "You should do this. You should do that. You should do that." I mean, he's always there telling everyone to. And no beating around the bush, huh? No, he just came no, and told you straight out. he told you straight out, and that's my inspiration. That's where I got it from. And I mean, if I can help anyone, I want to. Why should I let someone, some young boy stand there, no one gives him an advice? That's what I inspired by you as well. I mean, you, I mean, I know I had yeah. you when I was in Rose Pagana. I had a hard time to get you away. You're there taking the spark plug out another bloke's bike or whatever. <laughs> and then you're going out on the race. Where's Greg? Oh, he's helping that bike. But he's out in this race. <laughs> I mean, you've always been like that. You're inspiration as well. I mean, it, um, every, that's why you're so good. I mean, you got, you got everything. So, I mean, talk about inspiration. You got more experience than both me and, me and, me and Gunderson <laughs> together. So it's... Um, uh, all the credit to you, Greg. I'm I'm so pleased to to see how you've been managed, and and I mean your inspiration to everyone as well. I mean, uh, I can help forty forty six forty seven next year. Right? I don't even know. <laughs> you stop counting. I, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, you know. No. Well, but the I, way I tell you what, Greg. That that's the main thing is. You have to enjoy, you have to love what you're doing. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's speedway or your work or whatever. Who wants to go to work and feel shit? I don't feel like working today. Yeah. But you go there and you're inspired whatever you do. It doesn't matter. The age doesn't matter then. Because if you go there and you enjoy what you're doing, you can still do it. But when you go there and you start to think the other way, or oh, should I really do that? Then you don't score or you crash or you do something else bad. That's right. So... Yeah. I've always said you got to surround yourself with good people, you yeah. know, and, and 
and sometimes the ones that are a little bit more bright than you are. But yeah. anyway, to do it like that, and yeah, you have your days. I have my days where I think, oh, man, I'm so frustrated and angry and pissed off about mm. this and that. But usually as soon as you get to the track and you get on the bike, mm. it just goes away and you just find everything. Yeah. Everything is okay, right? You're on clouds. Yeah, you're on clouds. And there's something about that that's like, doesn't matter the age, doesn't mean anything. No, you know, as it's long just, as you have that. Yeah, I, I'm still able to do it. My body mm. hasn't shut down on me, and I am am able to to to, to be upright and breathe yeah. the air and yeah. ride my bike, you know. And it's those are the kind of things that keep you going. So that's what keeps well, gets me frustrated when people say, "Oh, you should quit now. You should quit now. Why should you quit <laughs> when you're enjoying it and you're doing what you love, and you're able to be there and yeah. do? I mean, scoring points and everything. So it's I mean. It, it's unbelievable. No, it's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And that's what I mean, talking about helping kids in the future. And, and I see what Eric's doing, too. With Yeah. Uh, I wish I could, though. I mean, I, yeah. I, wa- I wanted to be able to do so many things. But with my injury and everything, it stops me. Because when I did everything like I did, I mean, I the, the injury I got is, is that... I have to rest my back so so much and and to be able to to sit up so it, it's because if you sit on the same spot all the time I get these sores and everything and all right when I'm doing too much and if I'm traveling too much or and the same I mean I'm in an electric wheelchair now I mean probably could sit in a normal wheelchair but I have to have someone pushing me then I mean I can take me around in, in, in the apartment and stuff if it's flat and that but outside I can't do much no, I have to have someone be. pushing me mm-hmm. and I hate that I want I want to do it myself and yeah, that's just in your yeah your, when yeah. I got the electric wheelchair I mean I go in and out of my car I even count how long time it takes to get into the car into the wheel put the reverse in out of the parking space <laughs> out so oh, I can still, do it quicker next time still challenging yeah. yourself <laughs> challenge stuff like that and I can I mean I I do stuff that I'm not normally not supposed to do but if I can help anyone I mean I I don't even have to be at the track I mean I could be home wherever I mean just a phone call away if I can help anyone that needs some advice or whatever I mean it's but I want to do so much stuff that that's I'm not enabled to do I want to do more than I can right now while we're on that subject I mean obviously hopefully that this this new procedure they're going to do for you is going to help out yeah hopefully and that's going to give you much more added value to life again you know which we're fingers crossed that's going to be successful and Mm. and then the hard part like I I'm impressed that Eric has managed with his group of the kids yeah and I I use both of you guys as examples because your era in sport is quite far back now. Mm. When you look about it, I mean, I shouldn't say far back because yeah, I was <laughs> I was involved with you because I, I was from far back too, way beyond. But some of the kids today, they a lot of them maybe have heard your name or whatever. But probably unless someone really tells them, explains to them who you are and what mm. you've done and your achievements, it's hard. I mean, that's like it in anything. But suddenly, the kids I see when Eric talks to the kids that are in the 250 program now. And I, I've seen with the ADCC starting to look up to him and they they know who he is, they listen to him, and they 
they believe in what he's saying. So uh, for me, that's gold. You know, these guys, they can listen to the guys of today that the, can be the Nicky Petersons, the Nils Christian Eversons, it can yeah. be any of those guys, but the same in Sweden. I feel like it's it's time for... Yeah, we need someone. I mean, I... I mean, take Mats Olsson, for example, when he was up in Masana, when he got all these, I mean, Limbeck, Sundström, Linus, uh, uh, there's so many riders up there, young ones, comes up from the 8cc. So, but I mean, the way they started with this 250, I remember me and Mats had, had a uh, training session in uh, Norrköping. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the riders, because they were riding 500, most of them. And then they were doing it all wrong and everything. They were out sliding and stuff and coming in wrong and into the corners. It's too much power on a 500. So when they went out on a 250, they made such a smooth rides in the corners and they, they could get around the corners in the right way. But now you're throwing in them on a 500 and there's so much power in them that they can't handle it when they're coming in. They need to come up like like a 250 to get a smoother ride and then you build it up it's like a big jump from 80 up to 500 so yeah. it's a good way it, that's the biggest thing you know you, this ADCC program is has developed or brought up some a lot of world champions including yourself and mm. many but the the 250 program I think is a really good it's a good step it's a really good step mm-hmm. and now you can see even the the one two five class is starting to grow. Four stroke class is starting to grow around the world, yeah. but it's still Sweden and Denmark, primarily Denmark, that are mm. are killing it with the eighty five CCs. They're they're smoking, you know. They're bringing up some crazy talent. So yeah, you need you need someone that that helps them like Eric has been doing, and I mean he's been doing it now for a few years. He's it's a big progress to yeah. get to where they are right now but you can see that now it's coming a lot of young danish riders coming up so but the the most important thing is is to be able for them to ride yeah. meetings not just practice i mean to get in there and the way it is now they just swapping them out for someone else i mean it's like the they think the grass is green on the other side but yeah. it's not like that if you get an opportunity to ride more but now these days you're coming up and like i said they they, they have one meeting and they a bad meeting they just swapping up for someone else and you you got to lose to to win like i said when i, I was in the in rospigan and that i mean it keep the same team everyone riders get the confident in and then it start to come it doesn't come over a night it, it, it's a big process it is, and it's difficult, as we were just saying, that yeah. it's difficult these days when you, it's all one European Union, too, and it's so mm. easy for riders to get back and forth. But not to say they need to exclude lots and lots of riders, mm. but me as a foreigner, they know I'm, I'm you know, I'm quite, yeah. I love the Swedish program, and I've loved, I've seen how it was when I started to what it is to today. And they're, they're, sadly, there's not enough of a uh, a building point to bring everybody up from, from a 50 cc peewee mm-hmm. up to the 500 class and it would be really nice to see a little bit more structure and that yeah. doesn't just start there or start here it's you i think the al svenskan is really important right down yeah. to your division one or even your b teams but 
I would really personally myself, I'd love to see your Al Svenskan league be all Swedish. All right. Yeah, I don't understand how they done like they have done, but I mean, it, there's so many riders that that can fit in in Al Svenskan, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't let any like foreign riders or even the top names from from the, the the elite league to go down because it's too tough for them to. They should have someone to compete against, but should be in more level ground that they can beat each other, not just losing by half a straight or whatever. It exactly. doesn't help them. No, and that's... Some of the Al Svenskan teams, you look at them, you just go, you know, yeah. like, wow, that's uh, that's an elite league team, some yeah. of them. but Yeah, they are. And then, I don't know, it, it's how it was before Svima was deciding most of the stuff. Talk about rules and everything, and everyone's complaining about Svimo and stuff. And when they got this, is this SSC or whatever? Oh, yeah. Speedus. ESS. ESS. The clubs are deciding now what to do, and they run over Svimo about stuff. And some clubs that, I mean, even now, they they said it's supposed to be three riders, Swedish riders, or two. And then they can't stop them because there is no rules or it's kind of like regulations. An unwritten rule, huh? Yeah. yeah. So it's just decided between them. But when they have all these meetings, they sit down and discuss. And I've been to these meetings, and everyone is satisfied with everything. Yeah, we should do this. And then they walk out of the door and they're thinking, how are we going to cheat the other ones? How are we supposed to do it? <laughs> you know, that's how it is. It, yeah, it's it's like through. a. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. They don't. They just burying the sport. It, it's hmm. instead of doing something right, instead. So, I'd love to see them do one of one of the the good things for Poland for sure is what they do with the the two reserves, the number six and seven. They tried it in Sweden, but they ran over it. They ran over it. When when did they do it like that with the six and seven uh, reserves? I think it's about. Three years ago, or something when when they start when they said it was going to have juniors in in there and and uh, they stopped it. But I think it comes down to everything. It, it's like in a, any business, everyone wants to make money or earn money, and the sponsor and everything. They're there. They want them to win all the meetings, right. <laughs> and I think that's that's the main problem as well. That that they don't let them to to build the team because they ha- they have to win straight away and you have to you it's like you you're buying a winning team all the time to to yeah. do it it's not like it was before you you grow as you do you start to win yeah i mean that way coming up but now you have to win all the time and if you if you lose a couple of matches they think oh something wrong we have to kick that bloke we put someone else in then i mean it the you have to win more or less all the time. It, it's it's demanding. It's it's. I think it's not just speedways and other sports as well. Speedway is a small sport, so that's why we notice it so much harder. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, it's not only speedway that have that problem. It, it's other te- other ice hockey or whatever. I mean, if you're losing team, you're buying a better hockey player or whatever. So because you have to win to keep your sponsors and everything. So it's a lot of things is about money. It's a uh, big pressure for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, pair. I mean, I can. Yeah. We can go on. We can go on, and, and on. we can go on. Yeah. And I, I feel like I get to this point, and and uh, each time I talk to somebody, you know, I get so excited yeah. just can't to talk. Stop. Yeah, <laughs> you can't stop. And I was like, gosh, I guess we have to save this for another podcast. Yeah. And I yeah. hope that we uh, we Definitely. get to we get to yeah. do many more. Well, yeah. talking about this with the kids, I I have lots of ideas and things as always. <laughs> you know, I'm always here. And that's awesome. And I, I hope that uh, in the future, perhaps maybe you and I both can do something to help Swedish Speedway. I would love and, to. And uh, to be a part of that. So yeah. uh, we'll come back to this question in, in the near future. They need but, guys like us. Yeah, they do, right? <laughs> Even if they say they don't, but they really do. We know. It's, all, it's important to us. <laughs> but thanks so much yeah. for Thank giving you. me all this time. And yeah. it's, uh, it's always a pleasure. And we'll do more of it for sure. Yeah. Good luck with um, oh, the future yeah. uh, repair on, yeah. on the body. And, the repair, yeah. Yeah, we're going to call it the service. <laughs> and, and anyone got a big ass, call me. Yeah. <laughs> Pair's looking for a donate, someone that yeah. can donate a butt, a rump, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, rumpa. Rumpa. <laughs> but, uh, so if you got one, listen, you can, uh, you can look him up on the Tune internet. In. I'll give you his phone number here if you want it to. You can call in and <laughs> his address, the whole deal. I'm good at that. But uh, thanks again, Parrot. Thank you, Greg. We'll be seeing you around soon. And thanks to all you guys again for listening. Yeah. On the Real 45 podcast here. Remember to check us out. Follow us on Podbean, Instagram, Twitter, Acast. We're at the Real 45 podcast. So check us out. Thanks again for listening, guys. And Thank we'll you. see you all really soon. See you, Pear. Bye-bye. How does it roll? You're in to win, everybody. And yeah. keep it sideways. Yeah. Welcome to Real 45 with Stefan and Greg Hancock. We vibe out and have real talk, so tune in and check this out, yeah. Today is a new day, let's seize it now and get hype. We talking about our careers, our family and just life, yeah. Share my story with you, inspiration like every day. Real 45, we gon' keep it live, I keep episodes on replay, Hey, Real 45, yeah, Real 45, show them how we do it, man, yeah.